When I went to college, my dad told me, and parents, you need to hear this. My dad told me the most important thing that you could ever do, son, outside of your walk with God, when you go to college, is to scope out, choose the very best people to hang out with. Choose the very best of the best in people. He said, your friends will either drag you down or lift you up. And, and I scoped out, Becky and I, we were dating, we scoped out those people that were closest to God, people that uh, were achievers academically and, 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 and other areas of leadership in the school. And God sovereignly matched me up with the best buddy that I could ever have in college. And my roommate for two years, we as couples double dated all the time. I mean it. And uh, to see how God has used me, or used him and me, I, I mean, throughout the years is, is just a blessing. Greg, we were, and Joy, we were singing that song, I've Decided to Follow You. And we were just at a reunion, and so many started out well, but, but didn't finish well. And there's so few of us left, that, uh, that graduating class of 250, that are still in the ministry, are still serving God. And uh, these two have uh, uh, served the Lord admirably now for almost uh, 30 years has been the lead pastor of Gospel Lighthouse in Dallas, Texas, 32 years as a pastor and associate pastor there at the church. They've done an amazing work, preached around the world. I want you to open up your hearts and give a good lakeside welcome to Pastor Greg Headley as he comes. And give a good welcome to his wife, Joy. Amen, Greg. What an awesome privilege to be here today with you guys. I am so excited. I just realized all my notes from this morning's message, I haven't put them back together. I'll be preaching from the end to the beginning. I've never done it that way before, so I have to figure out how to get started right. But I tell you about getting started right, we got started right this morning with worship. I just so appreciate your worship team bringing us into the presence of the Lord and your choir and your special music giving honor to Jesus today. That, I love preparing for the Word of God by entering His presence and worship, and you have done that today. We are just been so excited about the invitation to come and, and share with you here and to be with our good friends, Phil and Becky. Uh, the Lord did connect us together back at Southeastern a few years ago. Uh, actually a long time ago and we have been friends and admirers of your pastor since that point in time as Phil said he and I were roommates for two years and somebody asked me if I was going to tell any stories about him uh, I, I'll tell you this one of the things that at general council would get together and my kids always wanted to know is your college roommate gonna because when my college roommate was there they came because they wanted to learn stories about me that I wouldn't have told them and uh, your pastor just threw me under the bus on a number of occasions with my own kids. Uh, but we, we thoroughly enjoyed our time at Southeastern together. And I think it's pretty cool that after all these years that we're still best of friends. And that we're still faithfully serving the Lord in ministry. So Phil and I were college roommates for my sophomore and junior year. You say, why didn't you room together your senior year? I upgraded. 
and I'm going to ask my upgrade to stand. Uh, so Joy and I, we got married, and you can see that was an upgrade. Uh, now, Phil and Becky weren't married yet that, that senior year, but they spent a lot of time at our new apartment. And, and don't tell the dean of students, but there was more than one occasion that curfew came and they were still in our apartment. And a couple of times they just went ahead and they spent the night with us. Now everything was appropriate and all of that kind of stuff, but uh, I just look back and remember those wonderful days. And I kept thinking as I was getting ready to come and share with you, what is it that I still have? from those years that we shared together as roommates. And I, and I came up with three things that, that I still have. Number one, I have a very good friend in your pastor. And after all these years, we still share fellowship together, and I'm grateful and honored to be able to share ministry here with you today. Second thing I still have is a sleep disorder. Uh, and the reason for that is that I had this desire every day to get out of class by 12.30. I wanted my afternoons free so I could play ball, go to work, spend time with the, my love of my life that I, actually she wasn't that point, but anyway, we're growing into that to, with joy. And, and so that meant I was going to be in the cafeteria first thing in the morning, eating breakfast. I was going to be at the first class at 7.30 in the morning. That was not your pastor's approach. Uh, he liked to stay up really, really late at night. In fact, he'd be up to one or two o'clock in the morning and I'm trying to sleep. And we're, you know, we're roommates are in the same room. The lights are on, the music is blaring. And, and, and so I learned something. I learned how to sleep with lots of noise. You can run a freight train through our bedroom to this day and I will not wake up. Uh, if somebody calls me in the middle of the night and I've got an emergency, my wife has to kick me. And, and all of that is thanks to your pastor. And I was thinking, is there anything else that, I mean, do I have anything that I had in that room uh, back then? I've, I know I've got some old textbooks that come from those two years. And then I remembered one thing that I had in that room that I have got carried with me to this day. If you come into my office, you'll see it. It's this, this rock. And, and I want to tell you the story behind this rock. Uh, there was a, a lady by the name of Betty Lynn, and when I was five years old and first went to camp, and I grew up in Alabama, and uh, first went to camp, Betty Lynn was there. We called her Sister Lynn. In fact, every year at camp, doesn't matter what week it was, whether it was kids camp or youth camp, Betty Lynn was there. My father became the uh, district youth director, we called them decaps back then, uh, for the state of Alabama. And so that meant he ran all of the children's camps and all the youth camps. for. So all of my teenage years, every summer, all summer long, I was at every single camp. And so was Sister Lynn. In fact, she was at every camp for over 25 years. An incredible, wonderful lady. Uh, the year that I was 16 years old, uh, Sister Lynn had this new hobby, and it was painting rocks. You know, she'd paint them blue with little yellow flowers on them and give them one of the girls, and, and we all knew about her new hobby. And the very last week of camp, she came to me and said, Greg, I painted a rock just for you. Man, that made me feel good. That, that, that this wonderful lady, this lady that I looked up to, admired, had painted a rock for me. And then when she gave me the rock, I got really excited because on one side of the rock, it reflects one of my passions, and that is Alabama football. 
So on one side, it's got the University of Alabama, and it says, Roll Tide Roll. I was just going, no, no witnesses in the, the house today. I, I, I know, I'm about to lose the anointing. Uh, with, and she even painted a little elephant on there. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, some of you may realize, I don't get to go to any Alabama games because I live in Texas, but Alabama came to uh, that spaceship that landed in Arlington, we call Jerry World, uh, AT&T Stadium, and, and they played a team from the north, uh, Michigan. Uh, that's right. And uh, I love the Big Ten. I love to hate the Big Ten. And I won't talk about what Ohio State did to us just uh, a few months ago. But anyway, I, it was one of my passions, University of Alabama. And, and I got this, and I was so excited, and I turned the rock over, and the other side says, God bless you, Greg. And it's got her signature, B. Lynn. Sister Lynn passed away last year. And then I saw this verse on here, Proverbs 16, verse 32. I'm thinking, Proverbs 16, 32. Proverbs. I had no idea what Proverbs 16.32 is about. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 32. We're going to read three different verses of Scripture today, or three different passages, so keep your Bibles handy as we'll turn to a couple of more this morning. Would you stand with me, please, for the reading of this first verse, Proverbs 16, verse number 32. So I went back to my dorm room there at the camp, and I, I thought, what is this verse? And so I took my Bible and I opened it up and I read these words. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Let me read that one more time. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Father, may you let your word become alive in our hearts this morning. May you reveal to us what you want us to hear and receive and learn from you. And Father, may your glory come down right now through the revelation of your truth to transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And here's what happened. I read those words. And it was like that rock that she had given to me just sort of lodged right there in my chest. I had been so proud that she had given me this rock, so excited that it, it, it had the reflection of the, the team that I, I love to follow. And I read that verse. And this wave of embarrassment came over me. And I thought, is that what Sister Lynn thinks about me? That I can't control my temper? Is that how she sees me? And this lady that I had such great respect for had, had performed a prophetic act. She had not just painted a rock, but as I would learn in talking to her, her family years later, she had prayed over that rock because she knew that God had a plan for my life. She knew that, that, that God's plan could be thwarted if I didn't deal with some things that she had been observing in, in my step and my walk with God over the last few years. She saw me erupt on the softball field, the ping pong table. She knew I needed to deal with that stronghold that was in my life. 
Remember, I had a pastor that was introducing me to preach. I was going to do a revival at his church uh, early in my ministry, and he, he got up there, and, and his name is Donald Young. He was getting ready to introduce me, and I was excited to be preaching for him. And he says, you know, folks, I, I, I watched Greg at camp, and I'm amazed I'm getting ready to introduce him to preach to you today. And I thought, uh-oh. I knew why. Betty Lynn knew why. The Holy Spirit knew why. And the Holy Spirit said to me that day, all day long. I mean, I just couldn't, couldn't get it out of my chest. Greg, it's time for you to quit making excuses. It's time for you to deal with this. That night, I couldn't wait for the altar call. I, have no, I don't know who preached that night. I don't know what his message was about, but I knew one thing. I was answering the altar call that night. Because I had something in my life that I knew I needed to deal with. I had something in my life that could derail my future. And I had a stronghold in my spirit that needed to be broken. And that night, I went to the altar and I wept before God. And I genuinely repented before God. And not only did God hear my prayer, and not only did he forgive me of that sin in my life, but God set me free. God delivered me and God gave me a grace so that that stronghold has not plagued my life from that point on. And I can... I was so glad y'all sang that song this morning because I can see myself standing at the altar after that time of repentance, tears coming down my face singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. God used this prophetic act to, to do a work of grace in my life. You know, one of the things I appreciate about Sister Lynn is this, is that God gave her the the, the insight, the wisdom of, of Nathan. You remember Nathan the prophet? How that Nathan the prophet recognized that his king, a man that he loved, a man that he revered, had a problem. He had a stronghold in his life. Because you see, King David, a year earlier, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he had orchestrated things so that her husband Uriah was at the front of the lines during the battle and Uriah was killed. And, and David had tried to push that all aside and brush it under the carpet and go on as if nothing had happened. And yet, David knew that there was a stronghold that needed to be dealt with. I mean, excuse me, Nathan knew that there was a stronghold that needed to be dealt with in David's life. And so Nathan prepares himself, and I believe he prays and he sought God, and God gave him an approach. And David goes to meet with this prophet Nathan. As Nathan says to him, he says, David, he says, you need to understand there's a story I want to tell you in your kingdom. There's this rich man and this poor man, and they were both living in the same community. And the rich man had all kind of cattle and all kind of sheep, and this poor man, he had just one lamb. And it was a very precious lamb to him. In fact, the lamb was a pet for his children. That lamb would eat from his table. That lamb would drink from his cup. He would cuddle up with that lamb at night. And one day, the, the rich man had a guest that came to his home. And in order to feed that guest, instead of taking one of his many lambs, he goes over and he robs the poor man of his lamb. He slaughters that lamb and he feeds it to his guest. Now, David had grown up a shepherd. He understood the value of the sheep. He understood, especially if you only had one lamb, how critical and how important that lamb was. And he was incensed. He was furious. In fact, he said, anybody that would do such a thing deserves to die. That man must repay four lambs for the lamb that he stole. And it was then that Nathan had the courage to look David in the eye and say, David, you're the man. You're the rich man. And I'm sure that what I felt that day in that dorm room uh, was nothing compared to what King David felt. When the embarrassment and the shame came upon him, when he recognized the magnitude of, of what he had done and the stronghold that was in his life. Sister Lynn had the 
the, the compassion and the wisdom of Jesus. You remember that story where Jesus is at the temple? And as he is in the temple, these, rich, these rulers come and they throw this woman at Jesus' feet. And she's there just in shame. And, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, this woman, we caught her in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says that we are to stone her. And they have stones in their hands. What do you say? Scripture tells us Jesus gets down and doesn't answer him. He starts writing in the dirt. They're insistent. Give us an answer. What will you say? What do you do? What do you counsel us to do? Jesus stands up. He says, all right, go ahead. Stoner. But let the one of you who doesn't have any sin in his life, you be the first one to cast a stone. Jesus gets back down. He starts writing in the the dirt. I don't know what Jesus wrote. I don't know what your pastor has told you that Jesus wrote. But I'll tell you what I think he wrote. I'll tell you, I think he wrote Eliah Horowitz cheating on his income taxes. And then Samuel Leibowitz uh, adultery. And then he starts to write the third name. And by that time, they're all gone. Because... I think what he wrote was things, strongholds in their lives that they hadn't dealt with and sins that they had committed that they hadn't responded to. And then all of a sudden, after a few moments of that, Jesus looks up and there's the woman. And he's still down on his knees and he looks her in the eye and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? She says, There are none, Lord. And then Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Hallelujah. But then he says this, go and sin no more. Jesus understood that she needed forgiveness, but she also needed freedom. She needed to turn from her sin and walk away from sin after receiving the grace of God. And I'm so thankful that a a prophetic act by a godly woman, God used to help bring me to a place where that stronghold in my life was broken today. There's some of you in this room that you're, you're like me. You've got an area of your life that the Holy Spirit has been trying to talk to you about. You've got something in your spirit that you haven't dealt with. And, and he sent a preacher from Texas to speak in honor of the name of the Lord and the word of God and as a voice of the Holy Spirit to speak into your spirit to say it's time for you to quit making excuses and it's time for you to release that to God and let God give you forgiveness and let God give you freedom. Now, there's others of you in the room today, you're a praying mother, you're a praying dad, you're a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle, and there's somebody in your life or a close friend in your life that you've been seeing some things and you recognize a stronghold in their life and you've been wanting to have an avenue and God's going to give you, as you seek his face, an avenue that's the right avenue, that's the right approach. You see, Sister Lynn put a hard thing in my hand in order to reach a hard part of my heart. And here is Nathan. He places a lamb before David in order to reach into that place that David was trying to forget about. And here is Jesus. When these men had a hard thing in their hands, ready to condemn her and stone her, they dropped them. And Jesus instead turned their hard rocks and hard hearts into a word of freedom and liberation for that woman. And there's some of you, God's going to use you. He's going to use you to to do a prophetic act to help somebody come to a place where those strongholds are broken in my life. You know, that night you might say that this rock changed my life. 
I repented. God broke that stronghold. But one of the reasons I keep this rock in a prominent place is because I know that without God's grace, I'm still at risk. And I also understand that I need to maintain the victory that God has given to me. What about you today? Are there any strongholds that need to be broken in your life? Maybe the stronghold of anger, as it was for me. Might be a stronghold of, of lust, as it was for the woman. And David might be a stronghold of, of greed. It may be a, a stronghold that has an addictive aspect to it that's connected you to drugs or alcohol. And, and, and that stronghold is, is in your life. Here is good news for you today. I want you to turn to the next verse of Scripture. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. One of my favorite passages of Scripture because it gives me an awareness that God has victory for His children. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, beginning in verse 3, we read these words. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now the first thing, let me remind you of this morning, is we are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. It is very real. And Satan is our enemy. And it is his desire to destroy your life. His mission statement is to steal, kill, and to destroy. We're not tiptoeing through the tulips. We are in a minefield. We are in a battlefield. And we must recognize that there is an enemy of our soul. And his desire is to destroy our eternal relationship with God. We are in a spiritual battle. But here's the good news. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. Mighty in God for what? For the pulling down of strongholds. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I serve a Lord and a Savior who went to the cross of Calvary and He paid the price for my sin. And on the third day, He broke forth from the tomb and He's resurrected to life so that because He lives, I can live also. And greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. You and I serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and through His his power, we can overcome every adversary and every challenge in life. The weapons of our warfare are mighty. Everybody say mighty. mighty. Say mighty in God. Mighty in God. Notice, for the pulling down of strongholds. You're in a spiritual battle. And for spiritual battles, you need spiritual weapons. Jesus gives us a great example. He was in a battle. He goes out into the wilderness. He's going to spend 40 days there. But he comes out of that wilderness stronger than ever. How did he do that? Well, one, the scripture tells us that he was baptized. and his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And Luke chapter 4 tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And during that 40-day period of time, he was fasting. He was praying. And he was engaging in a relationship with the Spirit of the living God. So that when the enemy came against him, Jesus had the spiritual resources to overcome, plus we add the most powerful weapon we have, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of the living God, and so every time the enemy tried to introduce a wrong thought in Jesus' mind, Jesus knew the truth of the Word of God, and he said, it is written, and because he knew the truth, and he embodied it out in his soul and he had it in his spirit Jesus walked out of the wilderness not in defeat not having succumbed to temptation but the scripture says he walks out of the wilderness empowered by the Holy Spirit 
And his first stop after he leaves the wilderness was Lakeside Assembly of God on Sunday morning. Say, how do you know that? Well, his first stop was to his home church. And if this had been his home church, this would have been his first stop. And what he did is he took out the scroll from Isaiah chapter 61. And he opened up into that scroll where it reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Oh, I'm thankful to hear that this church is reaching out to the community. Sharing back to school supplies. Helping people in need because Jesus came to help people in need. And in the midst of that catalog that describes the fullness of his ministry, he says these words, The Spirit is upon me because he has sent me to proclaim liberty. Everybody say liberty. Liberty Liberty to the captives and to set at liberty. Say liberty again. Liberty Liberty to those who are oppressed. What does that mean? Freedom. And I'll tell you what, a stronghold holds you captive. A stronghold oppresses you. A stronghold hinders your relationship with God and it hinders your relationship with others. What are strongholds? Well, I want to share my definition of my study of Scripture and how it has helped me to understand strongholds and it comes out of this passage. I define a stronghold like this. A stronghold is a pattern. Everybody say pattern. Pattern. You see, if Sister Lynn had just saw me one time through the years, you know, uh, give in to my temper, she could probably just, you know, that's just an anomaly. But she saw it happen more than once. In other words, it was a pattern. A stronghold is a pattern of thinking or feeling that is contrary to the word and the will of God. I'll say that again. A stronghold is a pattern of thinking or feeling that is contrary to the word and the will of God. And obviously will result in actions as well. But it starts with our thought process. Here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, look, we don't war uh, against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. And if you look at verse 4, the sentence begins there, but it doesn't end on verse 5. So verse 4 says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, or as one translation has, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the what? knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. And so Paul very clearly helps us to understand that the strongholds are right here. They're in our mind. You see, the battle for your soul begins in the mind, in where your thought processes are. You go all the way back to our first parents, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. What did the enemy do? He came and he deceived them. He introduced a thought into their mind they had not had before, a thought that caused them to question God. And as a result of their questioning God and them giving in to the deceptiveness of that thought, they partook of the forbidden fruit, and we've been paying the price ever since. And same thing as we were looking at Jesus a moment ago, out in the wilderness, what it was it? It was thoughts that the enemy introduced into his mind that he was trying to get him to turn away from God's pattern and purpose and will for his life. But Jesus knew the truth. He knew the word of God. And as a result of that, he was able to overcome. The battle for your soul begins in your mind. Solomon understand that. He said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You are what you think. Your thoughts, they're real. They're powerful. They shape your day. 
Your thoughts are like a mental thermostat. You know, a thermostat, you can set the temperature. We walked into our hotel room. We uh, were appreciative of being able to be in that nice room last night. We walked in. Somebody had set the thermostat down to 60 degrees. I know y'all like it cold up here, but I mean, do you greet your guests with 60 degrees? And, and, and Joyce said, I'm cold. And I said, even I'm cold. I usually like it cold. And uh, so it, your thoughts are a, mer- a mental thermostat. And, and you set them will determine the kind of day you have. And ultimately, your thoughts will determine your destiny. What you think about Jesus will determine where you spend eternity. What you think about God will determine how you live your life. And the wonderful news is that, that God comes to forgive us of, of those sins, those strongholds, and not only to forgive us, but to give us freedom from them. One of the things that God's just been speaking to our church about this year on multiple occasions is not only the forgiveness of sin, but the power to overcome sin. Not only forgiveness for our past, but the ability in Christ to have a new future. The kind of future that is where we live in victory. I'm convinced that the people on earth that should be the happiest people and that the most victorious people should be spirit-filled men and women of God who have learned the truth of God's Word and the power of God's Spirit. Turn with me. Romans chapter 8 final verse that I want to share with you this morning Romans chapter 8 I want to read verse 5 and 6 it says for those who live according to the flesh here it is again they set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit guess what they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And the next verse, notice what he says, to be carnally minded is what? Okay, three people turn there. To be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. To be carnally minded, to set your mind on the, the ways of the world and the ways of the enemy ends in death. But to be spiritually minded, how many of you would prefer life and peace over death? Wave at me. You'd prefer life and peace over death. I just want to see if there's any hands not going up right now. That means you're either not listening or or you really need to come to the altar. I prefer life and peace. How many of you know when your stronghold gets broken in your life and you go lay down at night because instead of guilt and shame, you get peace. You get to sleep even though you have a roommate. Now, I have a wonderful roommate now. She goes to bed early. We, we had a, a professor at, at Southeastern, uh, Dr. Crandall Miller. And, and, and Dr. Miller, he, he had a couple things he was famous for. One of them was the thimble crown. And then he had another saying that, that he was famous for, and we used to mock him. And uh, he's in heaven, so he can't do anything now. But... Uh, we used to, to mock him. He had, you know, this sort of high-pitched nasal voice. And, and every class you took with Dr. Miller, you would hear this statement multiple times through the semester. We got tired of it. And that's the reason we'd mock him. He'd say, what you feed grows, and what you starve dies. And then we'd all have to say it with him. What you feed grows. You're supposed to join me here. What you feed grows, and what you starve dies. 
You know, I found out he was pretty brilliant. We might have been mocking him, but 40 years later, I'm still saying it. And not only am I saying it, it made a profound impact once I finally got it. You know, there are some things you've heard your pastor say 20 times and all of a sudden the 21st time somebody else says it and you think like it's this great revelation. I can't tell you how many times our church has come up and said, did you hear what that pastor said today? That evangelist, I said, I've told you that over and over again. Why, what is the deal? Why didn't you get that when I told you that? Brother Miller said that over and over again. One day I finally got it and it was when I came to this understanding of what I'm teaching you today that there are strongholds in our life and once God breaks those strongholds we've got to starve the things that allowed the stronghold to be built in our life and then we've got to start feeding those areas of our life where we want to grow in. You see, it's not just getting rid of sin. It's, you know, the Bible says free, flee fornication but then it says pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue goodness. There's a lot of things you need to be pursuing while you're fleeing away from the things that are sinful. And the things you feed are going to grow in your life. You feed faith into your spirit, guess what? Faith's going to grow. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. You feed God's Word in your spirit, faith is going to grow. You feed fear. You feed anxiety. You feed worry. Guess what's going to grow? Anxiety, fear, and worry in your life. You know, somebody said, I don't know how to meditate on God's Word. Yes, you do. How many of you know how to worry? You know how to worry, you know how to meditate. That's what worry is. Worry, you're meditating on something bad. You're meditating on something that could happen. Meditation is thinking on good things, right things, godly things. God wants His people to be most positive people on the earth. It's not that they're ignoring the bad things in life, but they know who has won the victory over those things and they keep their minds on things above and not on things on the earth because what you feed grows, what you starve dies. Texas, we, we've been in a major drought for a few years. We had lakes that are 20 and 30 feet low. We had some communities near Dallas area that did not know how they were going to provide the necessary drinking water for their people. And we've been praying for rain. God heard our prayer. You may have seen it on the news. We had so much rain that our lakes filled in one spring to overflowing. I mean, it was incredible. All of a sudden, the medians were green where they had been brown. Our grass was growing in our yards. I mean, it was absolutely awesome. And I was so excited. In fact, I was so excited. I, I thought, man, there's been enough rain this spring. I'm not going to have to turn my sprinkler system on and water my yard all summer long. About 1st of July, I looked out at my yard and thought, whoa, what happened? It's turning brown. And then I realized I hadn't been watering. But we got all of that water back in the spring. And I'm looking at my yard and it's turning brown. And I realized I'm a little late. I've got some parts in my yard that had already started dying because I hadn't put water on there because I was depending on the spring rain in order to make up for what had happened in the prior summer so I was, I was going to save on my water bill and I'm losing grass in the process because I'm not giving it water and I was reminded of this lesson look Greg there hasn't been water for 30 days and for 30 days no water your grass is going to die I don't care how much water you got back in the spring and the Lord reminded me you know 
know, sometimes we're depending on those revivals that took place back in the past. And God just poured out a gusher of rain. God did a great work in our life. If I'm depending on what happened all of those years ago when Sister Lynn gave me that rock, and I don't have an up-to-date relationship with Jesus today, then I'm not going to be able to walk in the grace that God gave me back then I got to keep feeding I got to keep growing I got to keep letting the spirit and the presence and the power of God be poured out upon my life if you get hurt somebody mistreats you and you start feeding that thing you start nurturing it and at first you're just wounded then you get angry then that, that, that anger turns into to resentment. And before long, that resentment turns into bitterness. Yes. And that, that, that spirit of bitterness begins to poison your spirit. And, 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 and not only does it affect the person that hurt you, now it affects everybody else around you because you're unwilling to receive from others because you're afraid that you're going to get hurt like you got hurt in that relationship. And before long, you've lost the ability to trust and you've become guarded and you've become reclusive and the enemy has got a stronghold in your life. But I'm here today to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, you can be released from that stronghold and you can find forgiveness and you can get a new freedom and you can learn there are people that you can trust and there are people that will bless your life so let me encourage you what hard things are there what strongholds are there in your life say but I've been serving the Lord for a long time I'm, I'm, I'm a believer you know I, I was been serving the Lord when I got this rock but there was still a part of my life that wasn't quite sanctified yet and I needed to release it to Jesus. You may not be courageous enough to do this, but there are probably people close to you that if you ask them, what area of my life do I need God to do a work in? They'd probably tell you if they were brave enough. You know what? I'm thankful that Sister Lynn was brave enough. Say, Pastor, aren't you making a little too much out of that verse? How do you know she meant that? General counsel, just a few years ago, I shared this with my congregation, and, and I saw her, her daughter. And I went up to her, and I said, you know, I, I just shared a story about your mom recently and, and a rock she gave me. She said, oh, I remember. You remember? Yeah, I remember when mom was painting those rocks. Oh, okay, I thought you remembered the one she gave to me. Oh, yeah, I remember that too. I said, what do you remember about that? I said, well, mom was praying for you. And as we had a conversation, I realized I wasn't imagining anything. Holy Spirit and Betty Lynn, and I'm sure my mom, prayed me to that point. I don't know what it is, but something's brought you to that point right now. God's got a wonderful work He wants to do in your life. The greatest stronghold we all face, all of us. You know, yours might not be anger or lust or one of the others but the stronghold we all have is a stronghold of sin and there's only one way that stronghold gets broken that's through the cross yes. and I love that song the cross before me the world behind me you were pointed in the right direction in worship this morning and I point you again to the cross of Jesus Christ because there he made provision for your forgiveness and for your freedom Father I just bless 
every one of these precious people here today, every man, every woman, every young person that is in this room. Lord Jesus, you know their journey. You know where they are on their journey. Lord, there's some here today that need the greatest stronghold of all, the stronghold of sin broken so that they might become one of your children. There's some here today that are like me that the Holy Spirit has reminded them an issue in their life they need to deal with. And I pray that today will be the day. There are others, they've been wanting to to speak to someone and today you're giving them some insight and preparation for how to do that in a way that honors you, that honors the person, but communicates the opportunity that you want to bring. And I pray that you'll give them the, the right words, the right prophetic act, the right spirit in which to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Greg. What a powerful, powerful word. And I want you to know that as our ushers prepare themselves, that was a word that was not just preached, but was practiced. Probably outside of joy, there there was no one that knew Greg better or could upset Greg more than me. He didn't, he didn't mention that, you know, I, I was playing soccer. I was captain of the soccer team at the time and just hungry all the time. And in the middle of the night, I would wake up and get my mess kit out and make so much noise. And I'd have meal number five at two, three o'clock in the morning while he's trying to sleep. And I leaned over to Joy and I said, I don't ever, ever remember in my four years at college Greg ever losing his temper or ever getting angry I don't so what he just ministered on this morning strongholds in our lives that God is able to bring down and give you victory over it works now I understand why every day I'd come into my room and I'd look on his dresser and that stupid red rock was laying there. And I thought it was all about his Alabama roll tide roll. I never, ever knew the other side of the story. 